Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cale, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Paris. I am the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Yeah, just uh, just an ordinary Sunday in the church here that we're talking about. I think actually it's, it's literally not ordinary. There are ordinary ones. This is not it. Literally not ordinary. Oh, it's Easter. Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. How do you feel about Easter Sunday, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> we do it. I mean, I don't we, do it, but we, other people yeah, do by it. We, by we, you mean... I do it. You do Easter you do morning Sunday. I'll go to church on Easter morning. Nobody uh, needs a supply pastor on Easter morning. So guaranteed day off. <laughs> morning off wow, for me. Nobody, nobody thinks about the poor supply pastors. What, to just go listen to some other jerks preach? It's awful. Jeez. Wow. I have heard some truly awful sermons on Easter Sunday. That's I, the best I worst remember- one you've heard. I remember one, I think it was the sunrise service, and we were in Michigan. Uh, I think it was that one. It might have been in Iowa. It was one of those Midwestern states where, I love you, Midwest, but this guy preached a sermon about how Jesus really did have a bodily resurrection. And it was like, <laughs> like it, there was no good news in it. He was just angry that somebody else might argue <laughs> that it was metaphorical or something. But it didn't, like, when I describe it that way, you might think that he, like, gave this beautiful poetic take on what it means to be embodied. But no, no, no. It was just like, there are some idiots that don't think Jesus actually rose from the dead. But guess what? He did in like a really angry way. Idiots. Right? It was a truly awful, awful Easter sermon. I mean, there's a good way to do that. One of my favorite liturgical moments I've been a part of is uh, a former pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Boulder, where my office is. Uh, We used to do a lot of stuff together. And they do a really cool... Not literal sunrise, but an early Sunday morning, Easter morning service in the cemetery, the Green Mountain Cemetery, which is beautiful just underneath the flat irons. And uh, he would work into the liturgy. John Updike's, uh, what is it, Seven Stanzas for Easter? Have you? Uh, are you familiar with with Updike's Seven not. Stanzas for Easter? I am not, but that's pretty waspy. It is pretty waspy. Uh, <laughs> are you going to read it for us? I'm going to read it for you. Seven Stanzas at Easter, John Updike. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cells at dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered, and out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of early, earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is, is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair opaque and the dawn light robed in real linen spun on a definite loom. 
Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, for our own sense of beauty, lest, awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Seven stanzas at Easter, John Updike. A different take on uh, why the bodily resurrection might be important. (laughs) Well, we believe in the resurrection of the body and that, yeah, that's good. That's good. Isn't it good? Yeah, that is good. You might have thought my rant was like against the resurrection of the body. It was just against the horrible way this person preached it. <laughs> <laughs> I do also proclaim the resurrection of the body. That's yeah, John Updike. Wow. Yeah. I took a class in college. Uh, it was Updike, John Updike, and Tony Morrison, and we read their really? novels like a conversation. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I w- I was too young to understand any of what I was reading from either. So. <laughs> But, That's the trouble with college, uh, Matt. As a campus pastor, right. it is wasted on the young. Uh, you have no idea how, like, oh, you don't know how to appreciate that class. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, yeah, I've heard some truly horrible sermons at Easter. You have heard an amazing seven stanzas from John Updike. It's a, it's an interesting day though, because for me, like, I think one of the reasons I get so excited about the three days, and then I'm always less excited about Easter Sunday, is that I can, I feel like I can play on the three days and Easter Sunday is so like, there's a lot of baggage, like people, there's hymns you gotta sing and they, I don't mostly care about them, <laughs> but you know, like but everybody's got their like traditions, their attachments. A lot of people are there for all kinds of different reasons, which yes, can be an opportunity, but you've got to wade through all the, all the muck of the lilies and the, the stuff that you have to do that you can't like, do completely differently this year because it's Easter. So you have to like do everything that's traditional. Uh, whereas at my Easter vigil, I can do whatever I want. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's going to show up. And but, nobody's going to come. <laughs> right? It's just both. It's going to leave early. Um, so Easter, you know, it's an, it is definitely an incredible opportunity. You know, the other thing I was thinking as I was mapping out Holy Week as in my planning, and my minister finally pointed out to me, she's like, oh, I see why you don't like Easter. All the other days you can get other people to do things and you're orchestrating all these moving pieces and Easter, it's just about your sermon. Like that's the main thing. Like there's also some music, but it's basically your preaching. You don't get to do any like play acting. You don't get to have a fire. You don't get a big pool. It's just about your preaching. So that's an incredible opportunity. Uh, but wow, it's weighty. It's weighty. Yeah. I mean, it's a day in, I think there are ways to to think more positively about it than than I initially Help me out. am me inclined. Think well, I don't think I have that for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was in the dining hall yesterday. Uh, I, I eat in one of the dining halls. I try to eat in one of the dining halls once a week with students and stuff. And uh, yesterday I walked into one and it had big signs up because it was International Day of Happiness. And I was walking in with a student and I just yelled like, when are they going to have a day for me? When is International Day of Sadness? Uh, nobody. <laughs> Do you know? So Chris took uh, this Enneagram test that was going oh, yeah? on Facebook. Yeah. And she's like going through the questions. And one of the questions is like, I sometimes enjoy feeling melancholy. And she was like, who would, who would say yes to that? Come on. And I was like, I said yes to that. <laughs> Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Sadness is such a better feeling than happiness. It's just more full and real. Um, <laughs> all that to say, it's a day in which uh, maybe those of us who are in context where we don't feel as often that we have to serve, that our ministry is a ministry to like the church culture, 
that it's a day in which you gotta you gotta serve the church culture still has its uh, it's still there. Maybe that's my own imagination, but um, you kind of hit on it as you talked about all the the motivations for people coming on Easter. You're gonna hit one of your highest weeks of attendance for the year, but a bunch of those people aren't coming because. A sense of like a community obligation, which I don't think is necessarily bad, but I think it's a very different reality than in the West. There's less of that day to day or week to week, I guess. Does that make some sort of sense in mind? Yeah, and I get it. I mean, like, you know, it's just not as exciting for the for some of us, I think. Yeah, no, it's definitely not uh, not as exciting for me. But but even when. Even when you've got all this muck built up, you've got all these traditions, you've got these songs you have to sing, there's going to be the lilies, uh, all these people are going to be there that you're going to resent because they're not going to be there the next week. But guess what? You still have your 15 minutes to play with. Yeah. You've got your 15 minutes to preach. That uh, They give it to you. They, for some reason, for some strange, bizarre reason, <laughs> they give you the mic and they say, have at it. Well, and I so think- it's up, you know? I think the the traditional preaching advice on Easter day, especially like on Easter morning, yeah. is that is to de-stress a bit about the sermon. It's like the Christmas Eve sermon. <laughs> nobody's actually listening. Nobody's actually listening or cares <laughs> or cares right. is too much, right? But that it's not that important and you can't outpreach the day. So there might be some temptation. I know I felt that temptation in the past like in a when I was in uh, Bakersfield, uh, that on these kind of big days, we'd get big crowds and like, I'd get to see cool people like who are related to people who come to church, right? Like, uh, this is my granddaughter who's doing all this cool stuff and lives right two blocks from the church and will only come this day. And, um, I'm like, all right, I've got 15 minutes at the time. I was, I was probably like, I got eight and a half minutes to do this and we're going to get all these yeah. That, no, you're not, Zach. That's not. <laughs> no, nope. no, that's not how that works. So chill out. No. Um, it's not about the sermon. Um, so that's kind of how I was thinking it would be helpful to frame our conversation is to take that. If that's the traditional advice, it's not about the sermon. What if it is about the sermon? I want to flip it around, right? How can you preach a good one on a day when nobody is really there for that? Yeah, and I... I think I might I might actually try to do more of that this year. I feel like usually I just play on Easter. I do some fun stuff. Uh, we have a good time because I know that like all the stuff you just said. But I'm feeling more theological this year. I feel like I feel like these texts that I never I really was that big fan of in year B have really got me wrestling with the cross. And so I want to be all theological. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll preach a real theological sermon. Let's preach real sermons for Easter. And by let's, I mean you should <laughs> preach because I'm not. I'm. <laughs> You're gonna be. A- <laughs> well, I'll be on. I'll be back from Holden, but I'm, oh. I can't preach on that. Well, I'll preach Easter evening, and we'll use the Luke uh, that we're going to, um, the Luke the Easter evening text, uh, oh. which is Emmaus, and it's a nice one. We're actually gonna, yeah. And I told you this. We're doing affirmation of baptism uh, yeah. for a trans student who's um, renamed. That is really cool. For their new name. Well, which text are we going to talk? Are we going to talk about Mark? Or are we going to talk about Luke? I'm prepared to talk about Mark because this That's is the good. year of Mark. And Mark is <laughs> so <am> my <laughs> good. <laughs> Important to talk about. I think Mark's my e- favorite Easter gospel. Yeah, it's good, but it's super weird. Mm-hmm. So we um so a little. I gotta talk about this just for a second. We've been doing this um, Dr. King Bible study, and last night we did his last speech. Uh, been to the mountaintop, but we watched. We've been watching this Eyes on the Prize documentary, and so really what we did was we got a little snippet of that speech, and then we saw all the aftermath of his death. Um, 
and it's it's pretty devastating, right? I mean, you walk through this, you walk through that uh, that feeling. I wrote down this this quote from this uh, woman from SCLC. She said, "Our leader was gone. We just felt a great emptiness and a great shock." Um, and and in that aftermath, the Poor People's Campaign set up a resurrection city. They called it Resurrection City on the grounds of the of the mall in in DC basically like these tents and um set up their own little i don't know like uh what'd you call it like a burning man but on (laughs) but but on the national mall um and it only lasted for like less than 90 days it started to rain um people started to leave the finally the police decided we're going to push everybody out and that was that that was over the end (laughs) sounds pretty it sounds pretty bad. And so I guess what I'm wondering in the midst of all of that is what is what is Easter what does Easter mean? I can't remember if I talked about this last week, but last week um, King had this great thing about where he said the Emancipation Proclamation uh, <laughs> is just I mean, if you just sit a guy, let's say you falsely imprison somebody for 244 years and then you just uh, say, OK, you're free. But you don't give him a ride to anywhere. You don't give him any clothes. You don't give him uh, a job. You just you just leave him there and you say you're free. What does that freedom really mean? And it got me thinking about Easter, right? If Easter is just, uh, hey, Christ is risen, I don't know what that means. It's just some kind of spiritual feel-good proclamation. But if it doesn't actually, how does that? How do you make that mean something? How do you make it mean something practically uh, in a bodily way to bring it back to the bodily resurrection, right? How does this mean something for our embodied lives? Uh, that's that's the thing that I'm wrestling with this Easter. So with all of that background, uh, what's this text got to say about it? <laughs> I said it, Matt. This is my favorite ending to the gospel uh, of any of the gospels, uh, your Easter morning text, because it is if... Another challenge that you're going to face on Easter Sunday is so many of we have we know it. It's familiar. Uh, it's it's worn in, in the really good familiar ways. Um, yes, Jesus is risen. Here's the story. I've heard it eight trillion times, and they all bleed together in the same way. The Christmas stories kind of all bleed together. Um, but this is not read on its own as it should be, and taken on its own as it should be. The Gospel of Mark's ending is jarring and bizarre and should reorient us to this post-resurrection world in, in severe ways. So what happens? The Sabbath was over. Uh, Jesus has been stuck into the tomb. There's a big rock. Uh, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and our good friend Salome, who uh, he's that guy who uh, carries hot sauce with him everywhere, right? <laughs> Because yeah. he needs that extra spice. He brought spices. <laughs> uh, like normally, they're like their uh, adherence to like one particular brand, like a like a not a Texas Peter Tabasco, but like I'm a Chihula guy, and so he's got like a Chihula thing on his belt. Cholula. Cholula. Excuse me. Chihula. It's a city in, in Puebla. Oh, yeah, in Puebla. Not going to chase a rabbit down a hole. Did you know the Mexican uh, Liga MX is not is ceasing uh, promotion relegation in two years? Really? It's becoming a monopoly. Anyway. Wow, that's crazy. Isn't it? People really enjoyed our I... soccer talk a couple weeks ago. So. Yeah, you got to bring that in. Well, <laughs> since you went to, since you went to the Mexico hole, we uh the we just Mexico. watched Coco. Have you? Have I've you not. Seen Coco? Don't see oh, movies, oh, man. Oh man. Well, obviously we didn't see them in the theater. Like it came out on video finally. <laughs> Video. Uh, so you popped I in mean, the VHS. Like it's, been, 
if you spent some time outside of the tourist areas in Mexico, oh my gosh, we we just cried our way through the whole thing. It was beautiful. You should totally watch it. Oh my gosh. Okay, uh, back to Mark. Back to Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we have professed our love of Central Mexico, Interior Mexico. Um, and so very early on that first day of the week, they they uh, the sun had risen. They go to the tomb, um, and they they need to anoint the body. And they're like, oh, gosh, I haven't been working out very much lately. Who's going to open the tomb for us? This big rock needs to be rolled away. Um, and they look up, they get there, and the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. They enter the tomb. There's a young man dressed in a white robe. Again, we're in Mark. Let's think back to Mark 1451. That naked guy is back. That's what I'm going right? to say. Tying it oh. together, the naked guy has found a robe, found some more clothes, uh, and he's chilling in the tomb. Uh, and it's empty. They're alarmed. Of course they're alarmed, Matt, because did you know that tomb robbing, uh, desecrating a grave, was a capital offense in the Roman Empire Ooh. at the time? So should anyone of power and authority happen to walk by as these three Galileans are standing next to an open tomb where there was this uh, insurrectionist murdered, they would also then be executed um, pretty quickly. So worth being alarmed. Yeah. And that do you want to go down the alarmed rabbit hole or should we come? Yeah, let's we're. If we're going down Central Mexican, (laughs) we're going down the the Chupacabra uh, hole here. So then alarmed, that word, uh, it's also translated deeply troubled, and it shows Mm. up two other places in Mark's gospel. It happens when Jesus starts to talk about the cross Mm. and what the cost of discipleship is going to be, and when Jesus himself is wrestling with the cross in 1433. So in chapter 915, when he's talking about the cross, uh, and when he himself is struggling with the cross in 1433, so anytime we're talking about martyrdom, that verb shows up, and there it shows up again when they are faced with what a man in a white robe which sometimes symbolizes uh, a martyr mm-hmm. that has died for the faith. So they're scared of more than just, oh, who's this random guy? Like, what the man symbolizes, uh, being in that place wearing those clothes, uh, is terrifying them on all kinds of levels. You might about to be martyred. Uh, but the dude says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Uh, he's been raised and not here. Look, see, that's where they laid him. He's not here. Look around. I promise you, search the place. You're not going to find nothing. But instead, go and tell his disciples that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And so they went out. This is the killer part. They went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That is the end of the Gospel of Mark. Boom. Right? So jarring. How did we find out about this story? So jarring. We have to take the word of the naked guy that Jesus is resurrected. Gosh, it ends in Can the you... same way that The Power and the Glory, the novel by Graham Greene, ends in such oh. a beautiful way. <laughs> right? If you oh, read. what a reference. <laughs> if only we had a, a podcast where we recommended novels to go with each of the each of these texts. Yeah, that's a classic. We can I have mean, Chris can do imagine? a podcast on the network, except we need her to, to moody it up a bit and make it a little more melancholy and sad. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you imagine this, like, performatively? You're telling this story. Hey, he's back to life. And then it goes, like, so they went out and fled from the tomb. Like, a door slams. The end. Boom. Lights off. Right? Curtains down. What? Gosh, they told I no mean, one. Like, <laughs> I mean, before you even start to unpack it, just the experience of that story being told and that door being slammed at the end. Uh, what? Oh my gosh. Matt, I'm going to peek ahead into the future, which is an important part of my Easter stuff, uh, typically. Um, next week, Easter 2, you're looking at John 20. 
which is the end of John. Um, and the ending of John is almost the exact opposite of this. In this, in, in Mark, uh, they go out, they tell no one. And yet you're left with this book. How did this book get here? How did this story come to me? At the end of John, John says, uh, Jesus performed these signs and many others, but these are written in this book so that you may come to believe, that you may continue believing. Uh, this book exists. We wrote down these stories so that you would believe. See, and we, we're handing it to you. And so believe, you jerks. Mark's like, no. Oh, gosh, you can really play. You can Mark, set yourself up for Easter 2 on Easter 1. Um, Mark does not do all that gospel explaining. Mm-mm. Does not do it. Doesn't Just do leaves it. it there for you. Does not do it. Uh, Matt, I alluded to um, my time travel stuff, my time stuff that I think is important at Easter. Number one, I, I've said it for years in a row now. The fact that Jesus does not appear on Easter is a really big deal and worth pointing out and lifting up. Um, that on Easter Day, Jesus is not here. He's not in the story. He doesn't show up in Mark. There's the promise of him, but he's not there. And that's just important enough. My typical good news, right, is that um, is to lie into the, is to lean into the idea that Jesus has gone ahead of you um, and that we have all these stories of what Jesus has done in the past. And so the gift of Easter is the gift of the empty tomb um, because God is the God of the past and God is the God of the future and gives to us the present as gift. You can't preach the same thing every year, I don't think, even um, in my context. So if I'm going to lean on good news this year, which I think has to be pretty simple on Easter, simple but good, uh, you will see him there at the end of verse 7. Go and tell the disciples he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. You will see him, I think, is my good news. And where will you see him? That's a good question. We've gone through this whole thing, and, and Mark, Mark and John both are really a, really lean into this Galilean Judean thing. Um, he's gone on ahead of you. He's not gone on ahead of you to the top of the mountain. Not in the ways that uh, that pre-taping today you were uh, making fun of my ability to live for two days without a child in my house um, not to some high elevated place but the place that Jesus is leading us is back to the beginning where the story starts in Galilee and is back to the place of poor people of the, of those who, who do not have power uh, and that's the place you'll find Jesus those are real accessible places in our lives and so I think that's how you and it's good news for those of us who live in Galilee yeah, it's, I mean, it's an invitation to go to those places. I mean, that's the, we were talking about this last night, the, like that this text, um, the whole gospel of Mark, but then especially with a massive exclamation point, this ending, um, it's not just a story to be admired, but an invitation, right? It's an invitation, a call to follow um, in the same way that, uh, you know, we've been reading these sermons of Dr. King and it's just like we've been reading this gospel of Mark, if it's just this diamond to admire from a distance, and if Easter is just this thing to admire all the trumpets and the uh, gold pyramids and everything, if we're just going to admire that and then go home and say, that was a nice aesthetic experience, um, that would be one thing. But that's not what this gospel is. This gospel is an invitation to follow, uh, to take some radical steps of faith uh, into the new life that God is, uh, that God's laying out, that Jesus is going on ahead into. Um, it really is an invitation to get involved in invitation to, to keep this work going. Yeah. I mean, it, it leans a bit back into that updike, right? Um, don't try to make this less monstrous than it is. Um, for updike, right? It's a bit of like, Jesus is kind of a zombie. Uh, and, and that's who we're called to follow. And 
Jesus is not the resurrection is not taking Jesus out of the out of the mud and the muck, um, but back into it, and that's the same life that Jesus is calling us to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that word. Um, you know, if we're talking about resurrection and the way that Updike describes that too. There's certainly something that is radical and unique about Jesus' resurrection. Um, And yet, at the same time, that word, uh, he has been raised, that word raised, uh, again, not the first time that has shown up in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus raises people, heals people, often that word is used, right? This person is laying down, sick in bed, Jesus raised them up. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things that we're called to do, Sarah Miles has this book that just, I just think has such a fantastic title, um, Feeding, Healing, Raising the Dead, uh, that these are the things that we're called to do in the world, to go out to feed, to heal, and to raise the dead. <laughs> so think about what that might mean, uh, Easter. So is that your good news, man? <laughs> is that my good news? Um, yeah, 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 I'm, um... I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm going to be uh, going in circles a little bit. I've got this thing um, running through my head that I, that I do think Mark is getting at, but I've got to, I've got to marry it somehow to your, to your good news, which I think is also critical, but I've got this line that he is not here. Um, but you are. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of what Mark is saying. Okay. You're called to follow. Jesus carried it. Now it's your attempt to take up that cross uh, and all that that means uh, and continue on. Um, this isn't just something that we watch Jesus do, but um, as I had my confirmation students read last night, man, we, I had them, okay, another rabbit hole, Zach. They're all on their phones, right? They're all on their phones. Your kids got phones? Right, what am I gonna do with these phones? But so then I decided to use them and I made them look up all the stories of the Easter Vigil. So I was like, hey, watch, look up this story. Anybody know the story of Jonah? Uh, no, all right, why don't you look up that story? So look it up. What? He gets swallowed by a fish? What? They're like, oh, they're blown away. And then they were like, no, no, I think it was a whale. And the guy's like, "Uh, no, the picture here, it looks more like a fish. It's like a painting of something that, like, this is how we find information in the digital age. But they're looking up all these stories. They looked up Jonah. They looked up uh, Ezekiel and the dry bones. They looked up the testing of Abraham. And I said, what do these stories all have in common? And one of the kids said, well, uh, it seems like somebody comes back to life in all these stories. And then they were like, then they got scared and they were like, oh, wait, no, that's not it. That can't be it. I'm like, no, no, keep going. (laughs) And they're like, who comes back to life? Well, Jesus does. And who else? And they all look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, well, let's go to the next reading, the epistle, Romans 6, 3 to 11, right? That says, just as Jesus uh, was buried, so too we are buried and rise with him. Um, at Easter, and so I think again, like um, this is not just something that we watch. East, we watch Jesus do, um, but Jesus brings with us. So Jesus brings us with Him. Um, so He's not here, but you are. You are. Um, and I think there is a way that Jesus is with us. So I have to figure out how to complexify that a little bit. Um, but if we're keeping it simple, that line is really resonating with me. Yeah, I think. The, I mean, the place that I see them touching. Uh, the place where they blend together nicely is that in in some sense, literally within the text, the, I know it contradicts itself, but it's the Bible and faith and mystery and stuff. Uh, in in a lot of in in a sense, uh, a very real sense, that place, that empty tomb where they're all standing is Galilee. You're standing there uh, at a crime scene, basically, um, with blood on your hands uh, that you're not going to be able to explain yourself out of. Um, in some ways, this is. 
you of no power are kind of in this powerless place. Uh, and I think that's the place that Jesus is going to. That's the Galilee that Jesus, that's the Galilee where you will find Jesus. So see, you can preach on Easter. You could do a preacher. You can do it. You can I can't. do it. I literally cannot, but you. <laughs> what are you listening to as you prepare for Easter? Oh, Matt, I, uh, I'm going to lean on, on one of our old favorites here. Uh, folks from my uh, part of the world, the Avit brothers, uh, have an excellent song for talking about a Jesus that is the God of the past and the future. Uh, it's a song called uh, The Once and Future Carpenter. Oh, it's a good song too, Matt. And it's for those of us who like maps and geography, uh, the verses are really fun. I ain't from Texas, but I made my way from Dallas. Uh, another verse begins, I don't come from Detroit, but I, but her diesel motors pull me. Um, oh. The once and future carpenter. The um, once and future carpenter. Yeah. Nice. My life is but a coin pulled from an empty pocket, dropped into a slot with dreams of sevens close behind. Hope and fear go with it, and the sun and moon go spinning like the numbers and the fruits before my eyes. Sometimes I hit. Sometimes the ro- it robs me blind. Sometimes I hit. Sometimes it robs me blind. Uh, once a future carpenter, Ava Brothers, playing on that. But then you got me, Matt. You got me uh, with that. Jesus is not here, but you are. I'm going to go with a song called Here by Hillel. G- Hillel. It's the Jewish cover band of Hello, of Hello Goodbye. Hillel Goodbye. Just kidding. It's Hello Goodbye. No spaces. But their song called Here. I like where we are when we drive in your car. I like where we are here. Because our lips can touch and our cheeks can brush. Our lips can touch here. Uh, here. Hello Goodbye. No spaces. Check out parody band, Jewish college parody band. Hello Goodbye. <laughs> wow fantastic all right it's poppy it's fun it's eastery it'll make people feel the things that they're coming to church on easter to feel even yeah. if you don't think they deserve them because they weren't there last night good stuff those two get another one that's all i got matt so i got i'm not, got. not really I... preaching <laughs> um i was really tempted we, we listened to a podcast today uh, about REM's Try Not to Breathe from the podcast Song Exploder. Fantastic uh, little podcast there. It was so good. I almost want to put that on there because it was a song about death, which I didn't even realize, even though the title is Try Not to Breathe. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm stuck in this. Pl- I'm, I'm having a good music week, Matt, um, which is good. It, at our age, I think it's hard to have good music weeks. And where we're at in time, like, how do you get, like, exposed to new music that's going to, like, that, like, takes over your brain for, like, a week or two? Um, but I'm having a good one. Oh, my gosh. So I've really been into, uh, this is like when, uh, it's just like if I had just watched the movie, like, Speed, and got, now I'm really excited about it and want to talk to everybody about it, but everybody's like, that movie was 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> The same thing. Uh, I've known about them for a while, but I really got into it this week. Super into the Mountain Goats. <laughs> Isn't that John Green's favorite band? It is. And I've heard him talk about it before and I've listened to it. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I really got into it. Um, and there's a song I wanted for last week uh, for the Passion and stuff for Holy Week. Uh, love, love, love. Um, 
which is is walks the perfect line of what some of the weirdness of of uh of your non girardian um atonement theories some things you do for money some things you do for fun but the things you do for love uh will come back to you one by one and it's uh about it comes from a place of his abusive father uh in explaining his abusive father's love right oh, it's really good right like it has a line about um Oh gosh, it feels like it's it's nice in that like uh, magnetic fields way, like their uh, '69 love songs, where they play with the idea of pop music in a love song, and it feels very lovey. Um, and then you listen to it, and you're like, yeah, it's love is like, wait a second. Gosh, the first verse is like Saul fell on his sword when it all went wrong. Uh, uh, they do a lot of biblical stuff, man. Um, Sonny Liston rubbed Tiger Bomb in his glove, uh, and he's talking that was to irritate the eyes and face of uh, Muhammad Ali when they fought. Uh, he cheated, right? Uh, and those are the things they did for love, right? Uh, oh, gosh. It's good. It's good. Uh, but I have another one for the playlist, Matt. I do. I had it in the—I was going to just keep it short, but you pushed me. Uh, I'm a big fan of Iris Dement. Um, you got to listen to it in small doses because— you can't listen to a whole album of Iris Dement in a row. But she has a song called Go On Ahead and Go Home, um, which is, is kind of the words of uh, Iris Dement can be our, our naked angel. Uh, uh, on the album, she's wearing a white, uh, let's call it a robe. So um, go let your mama see a smile. Go on ahead and go home. Fantastic. Good stuff. See, I'm glad I pushed you. Then you got three songs. Three songs. <laughs> That's all that I got. I got to throw on, uh, so here's my Easter playlist. Um, Benjamin Booker, who I saw at Coachella a couple years ago, uh, guitarist, and Mavis Staples uh, together, the song called Witness. Witness. Am I called to be a witness? Uh, and he kind of goes through some injustices, kind of bluesy, um, bluesy rock, uh, indie, bluesy indie rock kind of thing. But uh, with Mavis Staples coming back on the chorus saying, am I called to be a witness over and over? Uh, it's a good track for this one because uh, I think that's what they're called to do. Uh, one of the texts that we didn't talk about from Acts uh, Peter talks uh, twice about how we are witnesses and we were chosen by God to be witnesses uh, to what has happened here. So am I called to be a witness? Benjamin Booker and Mavis Staples. And LeBron James. And LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Nike, he has yes, the Nike witnesses. campaign, we are witnesses. I know, you cannot, you cannot think of it. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> See, so the bad. biblical stuff still resonates <laughs> culturally. <laughs> and then... Uh, my two going on songs, um, Gnarls Barkley from, oh man, over a decade ago, uh, the song Going On, uh, which has a nice little beat to it, and then uh, a newer song by Curtis Harding, which is also a little bit uh, bluesy R&B style, uh, a song called On and On. So On and On by Curtis Harding and Gnarls Barkley, Going On, because uh, that line really it resonates, doesn't it? He is going on ahead of you. Uh, yeah. the good news for Easter. Good you news. You will see him. You can't go wrong with St. Mavis. Uh, gosh. <laughs> you, like, literally, we should just have a, a Mavis Staples podcast and a Staples Sisters. Uh, well, it's been real, man. It's been it's real, been real uh, vinyl. 